Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light, a revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. This is God's word. You may be seated. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space and place here and now to come and to have your way. Your word is life to our weary bones, joy for our sorrows, and peace for our chaos. Would you come and minister to us by way of the word? In the authority of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we have uh, extra joy today. As uh, my good friend Tom has come all the way down and brought the snow with him from Canada to come and to preach the word for us here this morning. A brief word before Tom comes forward. Uh, Me and Celeste met Tom and his incredible wife, Jess, uh, last year at a retreat that we were at called Hold Fast. And it was kind of uh, one of those moments where uh, if you've ever seen the same movie, movie that somebody else has seen, and nobody else has seen the movie but you two people, and you're just like quoting the movie back and forth, you know, sharing these important moments, and like everybody else is on the outside, but you two, that's how it was when I met Tom. We were on the same inside joke, and our inside joke was that of prayer. And um, Tom has been an immense gift to me and to Celeste and to our family, and I am overjoyed that you guys get to uh, experience um, the man that he is and the joy that he is and the gift he brings for us today in the Word. So, Zion, would you welcome Tom with a New Mexico kind of welcome? Good morning, guys. It is so good to be with you. Um, My name is Tom, like Andrew said, and I'm married to Jessica, who sends her greetings this morning. She couldn't come with us this time, but next time she's coming. And uh, we've got four kids, uh, Lily, who's 15, Hannah, who's 13, Theodore, who's nine, and Jubilee, who is six. And we live in my wife's hometown, and um, I have the strange privilege of leading the church that she grew up in. And so it's kind of crazy that that happened. We, I'm from the States. We met at YWAM, and long story short, we ended up back where she grew up, which is where she promised to never live, so we're there. <laughs> and uh, we lead that community, and it is called Anchor Point Church, and Anchor Point sends warm friendship and grace to you this morning. Got so many texts this morning, like, hey, send, send friendship, send grace to, to Zion this morning. And I can't, be, I can't begin to tell you, this, is, this almost feels surreal to be here with you guys, and it feels like such an honor and a privilege to be with you. And I, I echo, I had in my notes to say basically what Andrew already said about us meeting. But I'll add to that. And so, uh, like many people, COVID was kind of difficult for my wife and I. And uh, we were in this spot of, of questioning, like, what in the world are we doing with our lives? Like, what are we doing here, God? We were burnt out. We were white-knuckling. We had a particularly, like, difficult season in our church 
And uh, by God's, God is so kind, we get invited to this conference that Andrew is mentioning in Colorado. And uh, we go, and on the way before going, our church asks, like, how can we pray for you guys? And I don't know if you've ever been, like, super burned out, and you don't even know what to, to ask for. You're like, I don't know. And we were like, uh, it would be great to meet some people that we could stay friends with for the long haul. Let's pray for that. You know, kind of haphazardly, like, well, like no, no faith, really, honestly, in our hearts. And then, lo and behold, God, in his kindness and grace, we get to meet the one and only Celeste and Andrew Ryle. And so I echo what, what Andrew was saying, and I say, you know, the thing is that, that I would say that that was an answer to prayer when we met them. And so I shared that with our church, and they were so overjoyed. And so, that, like, they're a part of this whole story, and they're cheering you guys on from afar. Um, so if you ever come to the tundra, the white north, you have friends there for you, okay? But yeah, I just, I believe that God is in this friendship, that even that, just being with you guys this morning, worshiping together, um, getting to know some of you, it's just, it, it's such a privilege and an honor. So I don't take it lightly, and so thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and I would, I would just, Andrew doesn't know I'm doing this. He might be squirming in his seat as I begin to do this now. But I want to affirm to you as a church that God has blessed you by placing the, the Riles here. Like, it is no small thing. They are the real deal. Like, they love Jesus. They want his kingdom to come. They love you guys. They carry you around in their hearts. They pray for you. They love you. And these are no small things. And so, do not forget to thank God for the Riles. And so, with that, I have an appeal to you. I see you already doing this, and I want to say keep doing this. Keep blessing them. Okay? Keep encouraging them. Keep praying for them. Keep trusting their hearts. Keep following their lead. And moreover, take them out for dinner. Watch their boys. Ask God, Lord, how can we bless Andrew and Celeste? What can we do? What do they need? How can we serve them? And, and, and thank God for them. Just, just be grateful for who they are and that God has brought them here to you guys at Zion. And so just from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your warm welcome. It's been so good to get to meet some of your leaders and spend time with them, put some names or faces to names, and just get to know one another. It's been such a gift and such a joy. And so thank you for uh, welcoming here. Like, I feel so welcome to be here in Los Lunas, New Mexico, um, learning a lot about chilies as I, as I spend some time here. <laughs> and I, uh, I, I wanted to just, as, as I was praying for you guys, just before I start, just a couple things. I just feel like God wants you to know he sees you, that you may feel overlooked and, and like, we're, we're in Los Lunas. Where, where the heck is Los Lunas, New Mexico? But God is, like, laser-locked on you guys. He is with you. Like, the, 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 the presence of God is here in this building. And in you guys, as you spread out around your communities into Albuquerque, God is with you. He's doing something, I believe, God's doing something unique and special right here, right now. And that is birthed in prayer and sustained by prayer, and it's going to keep going. It's been awesome to be in this prayer room and think about the next prayer room but as someone coming from the outside looking in, like, man, God is doing something here. He's doing something. And so be encouraged. Keep going after God. And just remember, God sees you. You are not overlooked here. Okay. So in the spirit of friendship and getting to know one another, I just want to tell you guys a little tiny bit about myself. Um, I'm the oldest of five boys. I grew up in Virginia. Um, my parents got saved in the 90s. Uh, which means a lot of things for me as a kid growing up in a, a Christian home in the 90s. It means this. Petra was playing often in the background. Anyone know Petra? Like all the time. 
Uh, we didn't go trick-or-treating. We went to harvest parties. Uh, we watched a lot of McGee and Me. Anyone else? Uh, my parents said things like darn, fooey, and sugar instead of the words we knew they wanted to say. Flannel graphs were very prevalent, and um, we were not allowed to watch anything our friends watched, basically. So picture me, a nine-year-old kid, and my neighbor Dory walking to school, and this is like the time where your backpacks are just a little bit smaller than you are, and we're just kind of trudging along to school. He'd say, hey, Tom, can you watch Power Rangers? No, nah, man, no way. Peaky in the Brain, no. Animaniacs, no. Ren and Stimpy, no. Gargoyles, no. Beavis and Butthead, what? Um, the Simpsons, and at this point, I stop walking. I, like, grab him, look him very earnestly in the eye, and be like, dude, you should not be watching The Simpsons. This is not good. <laughs> but my parents did, however, let us watch uh, Petra Prey's worship videos. There's a theme here. McGee and me, most things on public broadcasting, PBS stuff, which is a bunch of weird stuff. I mean, we watched so many Civil War documentaries. <laughs> Lawrence Welk, which was like this strange variety show, like vaudevillian thing. Uh, very strange. Um, and strangely enough, any of the Beatles' four feature-length films, 1964's A Hard Day's Night, 1967's Magical Mystery Tour, which is essentially just one long acid trip filmed, 1968's Yellow Submarine, and my personal favorite, 1965's Help, um, in, in which the Beatles are chased around the world by members of this cult because Ringo Starr, the drummer, has uh, been gifted, unbeknownst to him, this really special ring by one of his female fans. And so the cult is after them because they use this ring in their human sacrifices. So you can understand the irony of like, mom, we can't watch Animaniacs, but we can, anyway, so. But one of the songs on that, that soundtracks the movie is, as a Beatles fan, I don't know if there's any other Beatles fans in the room, it's one of my favorite Beatles songs, the title track written by John Lennon, my favorite Beatle, Help. And so let me just read you the lyrics of this song. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these days are gone and I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind. I've opened up the doors. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me? And now my life has changed in oh so many ways. My independence seems to vanish in the haze. But every now and then I feel so insecure. I know that I just need you like I've never done before. Help me if you can, I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me. Help me, help me. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> So this song was written at the height of Beatlemania, which for the record was insane. I mean, you guys have seen the footage, like these four 20-something guys, and everywhere they go, just throngs of people trying to get a piece of them. Just any time, attention. And you can see in the, in the music video for Help, John Lennon's face is just full of despair. He looks so depressed and exhausted. And when asked about this song, he says this, I was fat, I was depressed, and I was crying out for help. 
And Lennon is heralded as one of the greatest songwriters of all time. And this is specifically, I would say, because his, his, vul his, his vulnerability. His lyrics are quite vulnerable. And uh, when asked about this song later on, he said, this, this is actually one of my favorite songs I've ever written. And what, what we see here is kind of the first crack in the emotional shell of John Lennon. And I would say that this is such a beautiful song because it's more of a prayer. It's a universal cry, a prayer that any one of us at any point could probably pray, a doxology in the darkness. It's acknowledging something so very real about the human condition. We need help. Help from one another, but moreover, help from God. We need deliverance, and we need salvation. Which brings me to our text for today. And so I have the privilege of starting you guys' Advent series entitled Doxologies in the Darkness. And you guys are going to be looking at these different songs in the Gospel of Luke and the stories around them and how, they, how do they help us kind of look forward to Jesus' eventual return and how do we have hope in the midst of the darkness. And so what I'd like to do now is I'd actually like to read this story, in the, the song in context. And so I'm going to get you guys to stand again and we're going to read this story. And then I'm going to pray for us and we're going to trust God that he has maybe a, 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 a few words of hope for people in the room today. But I want to trust him for maybe a, a few very specific things for a few of us here this morning. Amen? All right, so this is uh, Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse 21, and I'm going to read from the uh, Christian Standard Bible. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers, and at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about to him all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we look to you today. We ask, Lord, that we would um, encounter you as we look at this story. We come under your authority, Jesus. 
Uh, we, we, we thank you for the word of God. And Lord, we just pray that hope would, would spill out over into each person in this room. And from here, Lord, into our communities and into our families and into our workplaces and into the rest of Los Lunas and all the way into Albuquerque and on and on and on. And so, Jesus, we look to you this morning. You are the object and the source of our hope. And so come reveal yourself to us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys need to stand up the whole time I'm teaching. <laughs> Just kidding. Has anyone ever been to Iceland? Awesome. A few, guys, a few of you guys. I've never been to Iceland, but one of my favorite bands, Sigur Rós, is from Iceland. And they are um, experts at using what is called tension and release in their music. And so your homework is to go home today and listen to this album called Talk, T-A-K-K. It is amazing. And that might be the only reason God asked me to come here is to tell you that very thing. <laughs> but listen to the four, first four tracks, and this will kind of soundtrack, I think, what I want to talk about today. And so tension and release is used in a lot of good music. And essentially what it is, is it is this intense buildup that gets to the point where it's like, it can't go any further. This has got to resolve. There's got, I can't handle this anymore. Something's got to happen. We've got to go back to the one. What are we doing here? And you're just waiting in that tense moment. And so for the listener, there's this moment of unrest that creates this anticipation of resolution. This drama has got to resolve. And this tension and release, it, it's what actually keeps the music going, keeps it going forward. So I, I'd like to suggest to you today that Simeon's song is one of release. It's at that point of the song. And it's one that has its root in the tension of the story of God. It's rooted there. So I know that you guys did a series on the, on the whole narrative of Scripture. And what I want to do is, is to kind of make the release even sweeter. I want to just briefly look back at some of the tension that existed. So that, that payoff of Simeon's song will hopefully be all the sweeter. Does that sound good? Okay, so I love the Bible Project sum, summary of the story of the Bible. Uh, Tim Mackey is a genius. He says this, the story of the Bible is the story of heaven on earth being ripped apart into heaven and earth and God's glorious mission to, to reunite these two realms once again. And so even in that, you can hear there's like union and there's tension and there's this hope of release of things coming back together again. And so in the beginning, there exists this beautiful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And they exist in this beautiful community of love of other-centeredness, of creativity, of holiness, of complete set-apartness, of, of preferring the other over themselves, of the, nothing's hidden, everything is known, it's beautiful. And the, the thing with that type of love is that when that is there, it can't help but begin to want to share itself, to want to go out and do other things, to multiply. And so what happens is, is that love spills out over into creation. So the creator God makes all that we see and all that we can't see. He makes heaven and earth, which means he makes these spiritual beings in the spiritual realm that are created to share in God's good rule and reign. And unfortunately, some of those rebel against his good rule and reign and think, you know what, I can do this on my own. I think I could do a better job. But God creates the earth and all the animals and the desert and green chilies and red chilies. I'm shamelessly trying to win your um, affection. Uh, but the crowning jewel of his good creation is you and I. It's humanity. We're made, male and female, in his image. 
This is such a beautiful thing. And we're made to partner with God in, in spreading his good rule and reign into all creation, but we're also made to reflect his glory out into to all the world as well. We're made to, ref, to image him back around. And so what we read in the story is the first uh, humans, Adam and Eve, they live in union with God, which is what we're all longing for, whether we know it or not, to get back to that place of union and communion with God. And so things are going great. Until one of the spiritual beings who rebelled against Yahweh, he convinces Adam and Eve that maybe God wasn't actually as good as they thought he was. Like maybe, you know, he's holding out on you. Maybe he's not so kind. And maybe, you know what, you guys could probably do a better job of deciding what's good and evil. Like why don't you give it a shot? Why don't you try to go on your own? They didn't need his help anymore. They could do it themselves. And thus they joined the rebellion. Their partnership was fractured and everything changed. They were naked and unashamed, and all of a sudden now they're hiding behind fig leaves. They were walking with God, and all of a sudden now they're hiding from God. And what we read, and this is one of my favorite parts in the scriptures, is God comes and finds them. He comes and finds them in their shame, in their hiding, in their delusion, and he asks them, where are you? Where are you? And in this moment, the tension begins. There's a dissonant note in what was a perfect song. But God does something. He deals with the rebel by cursing him and by promising that one day one would come who would crush his head and thus snuff out this rebellion. And this is the beginning of the messianic promise. Maybe some notes introduced that one day we're going to call back to that will bring the, the, the release that we're longing for. There would be a release, God says. But what we read is that things escalate quickly. Humanity's rebellion spreads quickly and the results are devastating. And essentially what we see is creation itself kind of falling back into this pre-creation chaos, into darkness, and into need for help and rescue. So much so that God sends a flood to make way for a restored creation, and thus we read about all these covenants. So God keeps moving towards humanity. He's not giving up. He's like, I want to still partner with you. I love you. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. And we see him uh, stepping into these relationships, these where two parties are making promises to move towards a common goal, and of course, we know that God's common goal is to reunite heaven and earth and God and man. That's his, his, his endeavor. And unfortunately, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, and with David, there's these covenants made, and they kind of keep them, they kind of don't. But what we read is that Yahweh always keeps up his end of the bargain. But in the story, we read about slavery, we read about exile, we read about murder, we read about war. The, the tension is rising with little resolve. And we read things in the Psalms like, How long, O Lord? How long? And all throughout these covenants and all throughout the story, we see humanity fail, fail to keep up their end of the bargain, but all the while we see this God who, rem who remains completely faithful, who's unchanging and unwavering. This covenant-keeping God, the one who sets the captives free, who gives sight to the blind, who brings life, who brings order to chaos, light to darkness. And one of the things I love about the people of God in the story is that they sing songs to remember this, to remind one another of the faithful God that they follow. As they wait in attention, they're, they're singing about it. They're waiting for the one who was promised in the garden, who would resolve the melody, who would set things to rights. There's tensions, there's waiting, there's longing, and there are cries in the darkness. Essentially, they're singing, help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone, help. 
And so we read in the story about this tension, this longing, this hope. This is that syncopated rhythm, the repeated chords, the ascending guitar line that serve as the soundtrack to the people of Israel and creation itself. And this is the story of their song. This longing for the Messiah, this anointed one who will restore blessing to all creation, who will extend the good rule and reign of God, who will reunite heaven and earth and God and man. But how long, O Lord? How long? How long must we sing about hope in the darkness? So I want to talk about hope uh, from a biblical context. Hope, uh, I want us to think through this. Hope is different than optimism. Uh, One of the words uh, used in the Old Testament for hope is the word kavah, which also means to wait, but it's related to this Hebrew word kav, which means cord. And when you pull a cord or a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's some type of release. Tension and release. That's kavah, that feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. Anyone heard of Nick Cave, songwriter? Okay, Nick Cave is one of the most heralded songwriters of our time, and he too is an expert of this whole concept of tension and release. And he recently has come to some type of faith in Jesus, but he has this thought, this book about hope, and this is one of the quotes from it. He says this, Hope and optimism can be different almost opposing forces, because hope rises out of known suffering and is the defiant and dissenting spark that refuses to be extinguished. Optimism, on the other hand, can be the denial of that suffering, a fear of facing the darkness, a lack of awareness, a kind of blindness to the actual. And so what we see in the biblical story and what I think God is calling us to is not optimism, like not pretending like things aren't really happening, but hope that no matter what is going on, no matter what suffering we're experiencing, we can trust that God is faithful and that that melody will resolve, that that tension will actually resolve. And so what we see in the story of Scripture and what we learn is that in order to look ahead with hope, we have to look back. We have to look back to look ahead. The story of God is one of his ongoing faithfulness to a faithless people. What we see is that God keeps his word, no exceptions. So for Anna and Simeon, God's past faithfulness is the very thing that motivates their their hope for the future. Or put another way, to live with biblical hope, we must learn to look back as we look ahead. We can learn to look to the future with hope because we look to the past with thankfulness. Hope, my friends, does not diminish the suffering that we've experienced or even are currently experiencing, but it refuses to be snuffed out by both our circumstances or our feelings. I'm going to say that one more time. Hope does not diminish the suffering that we've experienced or are experiencing, but what it does is it refuses to be snuffed out by our circumstances or our feelings. This is simply because for those of us caught up in God's story, Biblical hope is not based on how we feel or what we're experiencing. Anyone else struggle with that? I, I'm such a feelings person. But what, our, what we learn and what we get to continually be invited into is that our hope is actually based on a person, Jesus Christ. So our hope is in Jesus Christ. Jesus, my friends, if we're going to live a life of hope in the midst of darkness, needs to become both the object of our hope and the source of our hope. He is unfailingly good. He is unflinchingly kind. He will never leave you or forsake you, and he is for you. And so in this story, 
Anna and Simeon see this. And so after, after waiting for decades upon decades, one of the commentaries I was reading this week suggests that uh, Anna was 105. So that's a lot of waiting to see this salvation. So they were faithfully devoted to God and his promises. They kept looking back to look ahead. They didn't let their feelings or their circumstances determine where their hope would lie. They hear the music beginning to resolve, and their prayers and trusts and hopes right before their very eyes in this moment are being realized. Because in this story, we see that God has come near. He has, in fact, kept his word. He has yet again fulfilled his side of the deal. And so this baby boy, the snake crusher that we've been waiting for, he is the one who will reunite heaven and earth and God and man. Simeon's song gives language to this sense of release, of the melody resolving, the tension coming to its climax. Let me read that for you again. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people, Israel. So as he holds in his very arms the object and source of all humanity's deepest hopes, our very human and real need for help, he can say, man, everything you promised, you, you followed through with. You did it, God. And so much so that I can die in peace now. My eyes have seen your embodied help, your deliverance, your faithfulness. I can say with confidence, you're, re you're really going to do what you said you were going to do. Heaven and earth will be reunited. God and man are coming together. And when I read that, I just hear thankfulness. I hear gratitude. I hear release, peace in the midst of chaos. One of the things I try and pray each morning is called the mystery of our faith. And it's really simple, and it's profoundly hopeful at the same time. It's just simply this. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So the story of the gospel is this, that Jesus, the Son of God, saw the brokenness and delusion and destruction our sin had caused. He decides to leave the riches and glory of heaven, to come down to earth, to subject himself to the annoyances and disturbances and the frustrations of the human body, to live and walk along the earth, to come and find us in our delusion, in our rebellion, in our blindness, in our hopelessness, to bring light into the darkness. He comes to show us what God is really actually like, that he is gracious, that he is compassionate, that he is just, that he is holy, that he is gentle, that he is lowly, that he is trustworthy, that God is faithful when we are faithless. He comes to forgive and restore and heal and love, like really love, to lay down his life for us, to take into himself all of our sin, our shame, our brokenness, to take on our very real enemy, the devil, to destroy death itself, to die in our place as he offers himself up as the sacrifice to cover for us, to pay our unpayable debt, to rise again in the power of the Holy Spirit three days later, to ascend back to the Father where right now he is seated, interceding on your behalf, cheering you on, this Jesus who will one day return, this Jesus is our hope. This is the object and the source of our hope. This Jesus who included us in his death, who included us in his resurrection, and who included us in his ascension, 
This Jesus who shares all that he is with us. So much so that the New Testament says, hey, you're hidden in Christ. You are co-heirs with Christ. You are partakers of the divine nature. Or put another way, what's true of Jesus is now true of you. Come on. What's true of Jesus is now true of you. That is such good news. And he did this because he loves you. He flipping loves you. And because he could not help himself. Because this is who he is. This is who God is. And yes, this good news may sound too good to be true. And you might be pulling your phone out and like, how can I Venmo Jesus some money to say thank you? But the, 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 the most astounding thing is this. This is a gift. You could never earn this. You will never be able to. And that's not even the point. This is a gift. Because God is good. And he loves you. And so this journey he's called us into, that he will walk with us, this, this journey of learning to trust him more and more each day, to sing the song of hope into the darkness around us, that he is who he says he is, that he will do what he said he will, that he will in fact come again, that he will in fact reunite heaven and earth and God and man. We can say this, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, because God's f- past faithfulness inspires hope for the future. And so while we wait in the anticipation of Advent, we wait in this anticipation for the final release of this tension that we all live within, we look to Jesus, this Jesus, as the source and object of our hope. Amen? I'm going to end with this. Did I give you that photo? Anyways, it doesn't matter. So I'll tell you the story of the photo. I, I, um... This is a particularly uh, like low point for me a couple years ago. So it was like September 9th, 2022. And so we were going through a hard time. I was dealing with all kinds of stuff internally that I was working through. Um, and I think it's probably, and I'm not doing this just because it fits in the sermon, but this is probably the most hopeless I've ever felt. And so at this point, I'm leading a church like I know Jesus, but still, nonetheless, I was struggling with this very thing. I was so discouraged. I felt so lost. And uh, one of the things that came out of COVID uh, that was hopeful and positive is that my wife and I started to paddleboard. And uh, so we, in, within that, we tried to give each other one night a week to go do whatever we needed to do, just to go be with God, go do your thing. And so this particular night, it was my night to go paddleboarding, and I did not want to go. It's like this, fine, I'll go. I'll do the right thing. And so uh, my gracious wife basically kicked me out the door. Um, and so I set off on this hour drive to this lake on, uh, that, that's near our house. And the whole way there, I was just like roiling with anxiety, with insecurity, with doubt, with fear, with this every imaginable thing, just hopeless. And um, that was like, that was my lived existence. And at this point in my life, my prayer life was essentially those John Lennon lyrics. It was just help, help God, help me. And uh, um, as I got in the water, so I, I roll up, I have to uh, inflate my paddleboard, which is kind of embarrassing. You're sitting there waiting, people walk by. Um, I'm sitting with all this internal discord and hopelessness, and the strangest thing happens. So I, I get in the water, and I, I, I paddle one time, and I'm not kidding you, the presence of God fell like like fell on me. And that's just because God's kind. I did nothing to deserve it, did nothing to earn it. 
I was, like I said, hopeless. My prayer life was just help, help God. And the craziest thing happened. So I'm sitting there, I'm overwhelmed. Like, imagine, like, the greatest worship set you've ever been in, and then some. And I just start to sing. I start to sing. I think I was singing in tongues as I passed these rich people on their boat. I was like, I don't even care, man. I'm just like, oh, there is release from this tension. That, that in, inner turmoil, as, as God stepped in, as his presence intersected me, things changed. And so my hopelessness was met by this God who is faithful, who is good, who is for me. I just started singing. I, I, I sang for hours out on there. And people were looking at me like, what the heck's going on? I'm just like, thank you, Jesus, just singing. <laughs> and this lasted for hours. And, and what I want to just, it's just an illustration, my friends, of just the healing power of the presence of God. And so I just want to remind you that wherever you're at today, like maybe your prayers are as, as feeble as mine were. They're just like, help God, help God. That God wants to show up for you. And like your wall says, that God's presence actually changes everything. This is the thing we're longing for, we're hoping for. All creation itself is waiting for God's presence to come back and fill up and cover the, the earth like the waters cover the sea. So I, essentially that day, I could sing along with Simeon and say, man, my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. You found me, God. You rescued me. You came and hung out with me on a paddleboard on a lake. And I learned this, that even on my worst day, Jesus is still crazy about me. And I think some of you might need to hear that today, that even on your worst day, Jesus is still crazy about you. And so my hope and my thought this morning is just, I just want to stand before you today as a witness to God, that God is actually faithful, and that God can actually break into your darkest moments. And, and don't be surprised when it's a moment that it's, like, least expected. Like, going to paddleboard, I was not expecting, you know what? I'm about to have a worship set for three hours with Jesus. And all my hopes are going to be restored and all these things. It's like, don't be surprised if, if Jesus intersects you even this morning here today. So whatever your need is today, however long you've been waiting, wherever you're crying out, help, this would just be my encouragement to you. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus Christ, the object and the source of your hope. And my prayer is, may the Spirit fill you. May the Spirit help you see Jesus clearly. Would he empower you to risk the transfer of your life's hope to the unfailing God revealed in Jesus? Would you call on grace, undeserved, unfair, unbelievable grace, and would you let Jesus be Jesus for you? Let him save you. Let him redeem you. Let him rescue you. Let him heal you. This Jesus is inordinately ready to meet your needs, to, to be that somebody that we're crying out to help to for. He is steady, and he can and will carry the full weight of your life if you will let him. Let him be your hope. Let him be the, res the resolve that you're longing for and waiting for. He is unchanging and unflinchingly good. And he is amazing. Amen. Would you join me in standing?
as a people at Zion, we respond when we feel like the Lord is speaking to us. We match God's speaking with our obedience. And uh, in pre-gathering prayer, and even all throughout Tom's sermon, I think the Advent season is a reminder, not only in gratitude for the things you have, but also longing for the things you're looking forward to, the things you're hoping for. And Advent is all about hope. And for Simeon, it was realized. For Anna, it was realized in the person of Jesus. And there's an ultimate hope that we all long for when Christ comes again and all is made well. And in the meantime, we have encounter. In the meantime, we get to encounter the Lord Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do right now. My hunch is many of you are in a season of waiting or in a season of longing or in a season of tension. And what brings you through that season is not necessarily resolution, that all things are made right or well, but encounter. You are able to release the tension because in the tension you're not alone. Jesus comes to you in that. And so we're going to respond to that now. If this is you, if you're in a season of tension and of waiting, and there's a longing you've carried with you today, I want to invite you to respond by just coming forward here to the front and just placing open your arms as a way of saying to God, I want to encounter you. Would you bring the release that I so long for this morning? And God will instill in you hope while you wait. So would you come forward and respond now? And as you do, people will come and bless and pray for you. And we will worship together as a family.